If you would open your Bibles with me to the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and if you can remain standing for the reading of the word 1 Corinthians chapter 4 verses 1 through 12 Oh Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. I'm turned here. I want you to know I'm here in my Bible, all right? I am in the right place. I don't know why I said whatever I said. But anyway, I was, it, was the wrong, it was the wrong place. But just write that down for later and read it, okay? Um, but for now, we're going to go through 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 1 through 12. When you got it, say so. so. All right, and it says, Finally then, brethren, we urge and exhort in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more just as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God. For you know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in passion or lust, like the Gentiles who do not know God. That no one should take advantage and defraud his brother in this matter, because the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also forewarned you and testified. For God did not call us to uncleanness, but in holiness. Therefore, he who rejects this does not reject man, but God, who has given us the holy, his Holy Spirit. But concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write you. For you yourselves are taught by God to love one another, and indeed you do so toward all the brethren who are in, who are, who are in all Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, that you increase more and more, that you also aspire to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your own hands. Amen. <laughs> Y'all need to just point some folks to that scripture. Amen. First Thessalonians chapter 411. Mind your own business. Amen. <laughs> As we commanded you in verse 12, that you may walk properly toward those who are outside and that you may lack nothing. Father, we thank you so much for your word that is truth. We thank you for your grace and your love. We thank you for your kindness and your mercy. And we thank you for your presence, your sweet presence that is in this place today. Lord, we thank you for loving us, and we ask you this morning, Lord, that as you have loved us, as you inspired your word to speak to us, that you would speak to our hearts this morning in a life-changing way. Father, that we would have ears to hear what you are saying to your church, and that we would be faithful doers of your word, that we would respond in faith and in obedience unto you, Lord. We give you praise and thanks for this, and we pray this in Jesus' good name. And everyone said... You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. If you do not have an outline, please raise your hand and just hold it up, and the ushers will make sure you get one. Don't put your hand down until you have one. Um, we are in our End Time Encouragement series, and my, uh, my encouragement weekly is for these outlines is that you utilize them so that way you can take notes, you can follow along, there's questions in the outline, but the biggest part and the most important part for me is that you consider the reality that we are all called to make disciples. Say, make disciples. We are called to make disciples, and the way that we make disciples is twofold. One is that we lead people to faith in Jesus, and two is that we help people grow in their faith in Jesus. And one thing that is important to me is that we do not um, fall short in that area, but that we grow in our making of disciples. And so the one exhortation that I try to give every week as well is that you can utilize these outlines and what you are learning in order to sit down with someone and help them grow in their faith. And let me throw out the challenge there again if you are not actively engaged hear me now if you are not actively engaged in helping someone grow in their faith okay and I'm going to throw an extra little caveat in there outside of your home because I know some of us think well hey I'm helping my son or my daughter grow in their faith that is good but I want you to go beyond that I want you to help someone else grow in their faith because I believe that there should you, there should be someone else in our life that we're helping grow in their faith so they can help their son they can help their daughter grow in their faith right so we should be doing that and and my encouragement is that is that you sit down and you consider that and if you're not doing that well I encourage you this week to begin to ask the Lord who is it that he has put in your life that you can help grow in their faith. Amen? Amen. 
All right, so we're in our series here, End Time Encouragement, and we are, um, we're, we're, we're continuing through the book of 1 Thessalonians. I, I think I said 1 Corinthians or whatever I said. I have no idea, but I, and I, I was speaking in tongues or something like that. But nonetheless, ultimately, we are here in our series in 1 and 2 Thessalonians, and we're coming to the end of 1 Thessalonians. Short books, they're not long, and um, I want us to walk through them and dealing with this end time encouragement. And so today's message is entitled, Abounding in Holiness abounding in holiness and I love um, verse 1 in this because it says finally then and so what he's doing is he's you know what he's he's turning the corner he's been communicating certain things thus far and so now he's bringing the letter to the closing points of the letter the last two chapters here and so he says finally brethren we urge and exhort in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more just as you receive from us how you ought to walk and I love this to please God and to please God. See, here's the thing in your outline there. Our purpose on this earth is to know God and please him. The reason why God put us on this earth is so that we could know him, have a relationship with him. But out of that relationship, there should be a desire to please him. And for those of you that have just gone through the vision carry orientation you just started last Wednesday, what we learned is that the vision of the church is to please the Lord. That's the vision of the church. That's the reason. The only reason why I'm here preaching to you today is because I felt a call to please the Lord. The only reason why I started this church was because I felt a call to please the Lord. The only reason why I do the things that I do in my life is because I want to please God. Now, does that mean that I am perfect? I love what Pastor Aldo said, that he's had so many imperfections, he stopped counting. Amen. And so I don't, I don't profess to you to be one who has arrived, but I am one who is striving after God and a desire to please him in everything. And that's my heart. And my hope is that we would be a church that has a people that are desiring to please God, that are seeking God's will, that are seeking God's wisdom, that are seeking God's direction, that they may please him in all things that they do. And so it's important for me that we have that. And the apostle Paul turns the corner in this letter, in your outline here, he goes from the encouragement of the indignity of what Jesus has done for the church to the encouragement of the imperatives of what Jesus expects of the church. Are you here? You see, notice I use the word encouragement when it's talking about, <clears throat> excuse me, imperatives. Because what we think is that when we think about encouragement, right, we often think that encouragement is just make you feel good, right? Like make you smile. Like some, like, like some people just think, well, I have the gift of encouragement, so I just want to make people smile. Hello, somebody. That is not the truth. The gift of encouragement is to keep people moving forward in the right direction. Are you here? Yeah, I love, I love this story. Um, Bill, Bill Hybels, he's a, he's a pastor of a large megachurch, speaks all over the place, great man on leadership. And he tells a story in one of his books. He's talking about um, leadership, and he's talking about encouragement and, and different, different leadership styles. And he's friends with a guy that you guys might know. His name is John Maxwell. And so they're real close together, real good friends, and they're, um, they, they, they go and they minister in, in places together. And so one day they're at this leadership conference, <clears throat> and Bill Hybels comes, comes down sick with something. There's something going on with him. He's really sick, and he has to do a talk. And he really feels like this is a talk that the Lord wants him to share. And so um, what, 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 what his friend does, you know, John Maxwell comes over to him, and the guy's laying on the couch, and he comes over, and he whispers in his ear, and he's like, hey. He's like, listen, man, just go on ahead. Just tuck yourself in there. You know, pull the blanket over you. Stay nice and warm. I'll go out there. And I'll do this talk for you. Don't worry about it. And Bill Hybels said, man, get, get out of my face. And he got up and he went to go speak. And he said, you know why he talked to me that way? Because that's the encouragement I needed at that moment. And he knew that. He knew what did I need to hear to get me to move forward. He could have tried to rant and rant. He didn't, I didn't need all that. I just needed him to come and just tell me, hey, man, just be a wimp. Hello. That's what, that's what he was saying. Hey, man, just be a wimp, man. Just, you know, don't, don't suck it up through the, through, the, through the sickness you're feeling. And listen, I'm not saying calling in is being a wimp. Hello, somebody. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not, I'm, what I'm saying is, you know, any guy in here knows what I'm talking about, right? Like, guys, talk, we talk to each other like that. It's, it's, it's okay. Like, we, we encourage. Sometimes our encouragement is harsh. Hello. But the point is, it is to move us in the right direction. It is to move us. Right? It's to move people in the right direction. And so what Paul does is he is he's continuing. This is end time encouragement is the title of the series. He's continuing to encourage the church to move forward. And the way that you move forward is not just by knowing what Jesus has done for you, but is to know what Jesus expects of you. Are you here? 
Now, in the second paragraph, while believers live under grace, the unmerited favor of God, and can do nothing to earn their salvation or secure it, we are called to live holy lives in accordance with the commandments of the new, uh, for New Testament believers. Now, I want you to understand this. We live in grace, right? And we hear a lot about grace. And, I, and listen, I want to be, I, I tried to, you know, I wasn't always a grace guy. And what I mean by that is I was very, you know, I've told you this before, and don't, don't hold this against me. You know, I said this one time a long time ago, and someone like threw this in my face, like everything I do is legalistic. This is not true. This is what I want you to understand, is I'm a legalistic kind of guy, right? Like I'm a guy, you know, I have that OCD thing, right? And so everything has to be in order, and, you know, I like, you know, I, I'm good when I have lists, you know, and I, and I, and I can check off lists and stuff like that. And so I was very, when I first became a Christian, you know, I was very grateful for what Jesus did. But man, I used to beat myself up over sin. And I'm not saying that I don't beat myself up anymore because I still beat myself up. The only thing is that I beat myself right with the understanding of grace. Are you here? And so that battle that's there inside of me hasn't gone anywhere. I just understand that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I get that, and, and I try to understand that. And when I sin against the Lord and I dishonor him, I still battle with condemnation and things like that. But, but I wasn't always able to beat myself into understanding, Jason, you're forgiven. I literally, I, this is no lie, I was, this is how I was. I used to determine, and this, and this is being totally confessional, I used to determine my right standing with God with my ability to feel his presence. And so what would happen is, like, when I would pray, like, if I didn't feel something, right, if I, if I was singing worship songs and I didn't feel something, well, then I didn't think I was forgiven. Are you here? That's just me. I'm just letting you know. I'm letting you know how I was. But I got this revelation of grace. I got this revelation of justification. I really understood what Jesus has done. And much of the church today understands grace. They're hearing about grace more and more. But here is my big issue with those who only preach one side of grace. It is that we seem to think the only thing we need to focus on ever is what Jesus has done for us and not what we are called to respond to what he has done to us. Are you here? We often focus on what it is. And, and listen, I'm all for that. I want you to know that you and I cannot do anything. I, I go through the gospel presentation weekly. I let you know God is a holy, righteous, glorious God. He is a good God. And we are sinners by nature, by birth. We are born into sin. We dishonor God. We rebel against God. We can do nothing in our best day to please God apart from the grace of God. That's the bottom line. I am on my way to hell. If you do not know Jesus in this place, you are on your way to hell with him no matter listen, you come to church you can give money you can do all kind of charitable deeds and all of those things fall short of the standard of God that is the truth of the gospel the reason why Jesus had to come was to bridge the gap between you and God because you and I are separated from him by birth and by our decisions but the beauty of the gospel is that Jesus comes and dies in our place he does for us what we can never do for ourselves he sheds holy blood. He lives a holy and perfect life. He does everything right, dies for us, and then what? Calls us into relationship with him, and he gives us a new identity based upon what he did. But here's what I love. Whenever, I, whenever I'm praying, you know, there, there, there are two names of God that I love. It is Jehovah Sidkenu, which is the Lord my righteous. I love all the names of God, but there's two that, you know, I always pray them together. And so Jehovah Sidkenu, the Lord my righteousness. And so it's a declaration that the Lord is my right. I'm not righteous in and of myself. The Lord is my righteousness. I love that. I, I don't do anything. You know, I can't make God love me more, right? I can't play. You know, if I pray for three hours today, he doesn't love me more than the day that I prayed for three minutes. Are you getting that, right? He is my righteousness. When I fall short, he measures up for me, right? It's that, that, that's what that name means. But, but here's the thing that I always pray when I pray after, you know, Jehovah Sid Canoe is Jehovah Mekadeshim, and that is the Lord, my sanctifier, the one who sets me apart, the one who makes me more like him. So here's the thing that this is the picture. The picture is that Jesus declares that I am right, that you are right before him if you have put your faith in him. But what he says is while you are right because you have put your faith in me, there are still things in your life that are not right and I am not cool with them. There are still things that I'm working on your, in your life, and I expect you to respond in faith, in repentance, in confession, and to work toward this thing called abounding holiness. 
This is what he says in his word. This is what he shows us. And so what we understand is that the Apostle Paul is encouraging the church to live this holy life. Now, you see there are these three things, right? Civil law, ceremonial law, moral law. I said that we are responsible for what? We are responsible for the New Testament commandments, right? We're responsible for the New Testament commandments. And so what I want you to realize is how, is how do you know? How do you know? Because we, we have two parts. Our Bible is made up of two parts, right? Old Testament, New Testament. Right? And so we read from the Old Testament, and then we come to this thing called the gospel. And then in the gospel, we see that Jesus dies. And then some things change, and you move into the New Testament. And so we are what you would call New Testament believers or New Covenant believers. But here's my question. How do you know which laws apply to you? How do you know which laws pertain to you? How do you know which laws you're supposed to? Like, I mean, and, and this, this, this may sound, um, you know, whatever, you know, but when you look in, in the Old Testament, you know, there were some things, right? Like guys in the Old Testament, like they had to let their beard grow on the side. I know some of y'all want to do that now, but look, here's the deal, right? Like guys had to let their beard grow on the side. Like, is that, does that apply to us today? I mean, maybe, right? I don't know, right? But when you read the Old Testament, there's a lot of laws. I mean, lots and lots of laws. And so how do we know which one? Well, the laws were broken down into three, right? So you have the civil law, which is what? That's the law of the nation of Israel, okay? Those things were specific to the nation of Israel when God was establishing the nation of Israel in a land, the civil law, right? That applied to Israel 100%. And so there are some things, let me say this to you right now, there are some things within the civil law that I think could apply to us, like in their civil law, which ties in with their moral law, is what? Is not, not to murder, right? Right? Corporal punishment, you know, um, recompense for your, for your murders and, th and, th and things like that. That's something that's under the old covenant. It's a little bit different in the new covenant, but you know what? You read Romans chapter 13, and you know what it says? It says government doesn't bear the sword in vain. You know what that's talking about? You can study that later. I'm not going to tell you right now. But here's the thing. It's talking about the laws where, where they're executing judgment on lawbreakers. That's what it's talking about. And so ultimately, there are some things that apply. But when we read from the civil law, we know that all of the civil law doesn't apply to us. Why? Because number one, we're not Israel. But number two, let me tell you how you test it all. It doesn't make it to the other side of the cross. See, when you, when you go from old, old covenant to the new covenant, what makes it to the other side of the cross are the things that we are responsible for. The Apostle Paul gives plenty of commandments. Jesus gives plenty of commandments that apply to us in, in, in this New Testament sense. So you have the civil law, then you have the ceremonial law, and obviously the ceremonial law doesn't apply to us. Why? Because Jesus was the final and last sacrifice that had to be made in order to what? Redeem, reconcile, and offer forgiveness, or what I just talked about, justification to man before God. And so we know that the civil law doesn't apply. We know that the ceremonial law does not apply, but the moral law applies. And even in the moral law, you know what you find? I'm going to tell you what you're going to find. You're going to find nine of those commandments that make it into the New Testament that are binding on us, and one of them that doesn't, and that's the one that's talking about the Sabbath. When you read in the New Testament, you're going to find that there is no command, and I'm talking about New Covenant. You go to Colossians, it talks about not judging people based upon new moons and feasts and, you know, Sabbaths and things like that. And so what we have is that we understand that there are laws that are binding on us and are pertaining to us. And so we as Christians, while we are saved by grace and we are righteous and right standing before God because of what he has done, we are still responsible to God's laws, to obey God's laws and to strive to be holy here's the thing it's not just about being moral it is about being holy it is not just about doing the right things it's doing the right things for the right reasons and for the right person see I can be a moral person and I'm not doing things necessarily for the right reason I may be maybe just doing it just because I want to be nice to someone and that may not necessarily be the right reason is it bad to be nice no I'm not saying that but ultimately am I doing it for the glory of God and am I doing it from a place of redemption? See, because that's what makes me holy. It's not my works. It's him who declares me holy. And so the last paragraph here on your outline, God's grace toward us should bring us comfort, but must never leave us comfortable. Did you hear that? His grace should bring us comfort. 
There should be great comfort in knowing that what Jesus did was sufficient, is sufficient, is completed, that we cannot add to it, that we cannot take away from it. There should be comfort in that, but you should never be comfortable. Why? Because the grace of God is always calling us higher in our commitment to God, deeper in our pursuit of Jesus, and further in our walk with the Holy Spirit. It is consistent that the grace of God will always do that. And so if we are going to be grace people, then we must be a people who are overwhelmed by what Jesus has done, who are overtaken by the great sacrifice that Jesus made for us, that our hearts are captured by that, but that we are also moving further along the line of sanctification and holiness. And so this is the big idea that I want you to get today. I'm going to read it without the parentheses, and then I'll read the parentheses. It's this. Our justification must motivate our sanctification. The big idea today, our justification or our right standing before God must motivate our sanctification, our right living before God. Here's what I don't want you to do in this sermon is I don't want you to walk away from here thinking that, you know, I have to do this in order to somehow gain God's approval. See, one of the hardest things, and, and, and now mind you, I told you the reason why we started this church is because we desire to please God. We desire to honor God, right? And, and, and the only picture that I can paint for you that is sufficient to help you understand what I'm trying to say, the difference between God's approval based on salvation and us pleasing God in our obedience is the way that we are with our children. And what I want you to think about, or if you have children, or and all of us are children, and, and this may not work because some of you may have had some really messed up relationships with your families, but here's the thing that I know is that I love my daughter and my son no matter what. They didn't have to do anything to make me love them. Hello, somebody. Now, I'm a human being. There are moments that I may love them a little less. I'm human, all right? God is not. just want you to understand that. But here's the deal. It doesn't change the fact that I love them. I love them despite whether the fact that they got an A or they got a B or a C. They go to the D. I don't know about love. They might have lost it right there. I'm just kidding. But here's the deal, right? I love them, the A or the F. It doesn't matter. I love them. Am I pleased with the F? Right? Am I pleased with their disobedience? No. Do I stop loving them? No. And so what I want you to understand is that when we're talking about the motivation here, right, the reason why I want to live holy is not because I'm trying to gain something from God. It is because I have already received everything from God. The reason why I want to live righteous, the reason why I want to grow in holiness is because of what Jesus has already done. And so the first thing I'll ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, we can only please God when we are within the will of God. We can only please God when we are within the will of God. Look at verse 3 here. He says this, and, and, and I'll read, I'll read verses 1 through 3. He said here again, Finally then, brethren, we urge and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more. And so Paul is calling them to this abundance of living. That's the reason why I call it abounding in holiness. That you should abound more and more just as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God. And so the apostle Paul, who is the grace king, okay, he is the guy that communicates grace better than any of us. That's the reason why God used him to write all of this stuff in, in, in the New Testament for us to go back to over and over and over again. And so he's telling them, listen, I've communicated these things, but I want you to abound more and more just as you receive from us because they've communicated how you ought to walk and please God. Verse 2 says, for you know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus. So he has given them commandments. He's communicated this during his time that he was with the Thessalonian church there. In verse 3 he says, for this is the will of God. Say, this is the will of God. He says, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. Now pause. Don't read anymore. Just let's pause there for a moment. This is the will of God. Let me ask you a question. How many of you in this place, and I want to see your hands on this, how many of you have ever struggled to know the will of God in a situation in your life? Raise your hand if you've ever struggled to know the will of God. Right? So that's most of everyone in this room has struggled in their mind, their thoughts. They've been like, man, I don't know if this is God's will, right? I'm not sure if this is God's will. And so what I want you to realize is that this is important because we can only say we can only. 
Listen, we can only please God when we are within the will of God. I'm not talking, again, I just want to say this one more time. I'm going to try not to say this again. I'm not talking about your forgiveness. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about you being pleasing to him in your actions. It is only going to happen when we are in the will of God. Why is this important for us? Because I want you to know something. We showed hands just a moment ago, and my hands were both up there with you because there have been plenty of times in my life that I'm not sure about the will of God. I'm, I'm in the moment in my life right now where I'm praying about some things because I'm, I'm not sure about the will of God, right? And so I want to make sure that I'm, that I'm aligning myself with God's will. And so it's important that we get this. But what I want you to realize is that God is not trying to hide his will from you. Did you hear me? You should write that down somewhere. You should tweet that later. I don't know. You just tweet it. I don't know. Tweet it. Post it somewhere. God is not hiding his will from you, right? He is not, he's not trying to play, you know, hide and seek Well, in some sense. But, but what I want you to know is that he's not like the person that's hiding so you cannot find him, right? He may be like standing behind a bush, kind of like Moses, right? I'm just saying. Like, he's the, he wants to be found by you. Right? He wants his will to be known by you. He wants us to know his will. And so what does he do? Well, he gives us a bunch of indications in the scriptures like this is the will of God. Is that pretty clear? Amen? The indications in the scripture. There are many other places that you can find this is the will of God. And the apostle Paul makes it clear. And anytime that there's a commandment in the word of God, like it is clear that God's will is for you to do what? To have no idols before him. Why? Because the commandments tell you so. It is clear in God's word that you should not murder. Why? Because the Bible makes it clear. And so you know that's God's will. And so you can look at the word of God and you find the will of God, right? This is important for us to get because there is no greater, there is to be no greater concern for the one who desires to please God than to know what the will of God is and that they are in it. Can I, can I, can I just reiterate that? It is not enough just to know the will of God. You need to be in the will of God. Because there are plenty of us that know the will of God. And we're seeking counsel and trying to get opinions because we're hoping someone will convince us that, no, that's not the will of God. When you and I know the will of God, we need to walk in the will of God. Listen, man, I've been, I've been pastoring for a little while. I've been counseling probably as long as I've been pastoring, maybe a little bit longer. And I have had plenty of conversations. I'm not talking out of the side of my face here. I've had plenty of conversations where people are coming to me to get counsel on a situation that they've already got counseled about from someone else, and they're hoping that I will give them some different counsel. Seriously, because they really don't want the will of God. They're struggling with the will of God. They're struggling because they really don't want to do what God says, because you know what? God says it clearly in his word. There are some things, that, and let me say this. I'm going to say this again. I've said this before. There are many of us that are praying, God, show me your will, show me your will. And he's like, it's in my word, it's in my word, it's in my word. It's in my word. You're waiting for an audible voice. He's like, I already inspired my word. You need to be diligent and seek me in it and find out what my will is so you can walk in my will. I'm just saying. See, our, what, what, what we have to get is that God makes his general objective will known to all. Did you get that? He makes his general objective will known to all. He lets every one of us in on what his will is in many, many areas. And so here's the thing. Our faithfulness, now listen to this, for those of you that are struggling with the will of God in areas of your life, our faithfulness to the general objective will of God will enable us to more clearly discern and walk in the personal subjective will of God. Are you hearing that? See, God's, God wills, his purpose for us is our sanctification. Did you, you, you read that with me, right? God's will is our sanctification. And so what we know is that when we walk in God's general will, when we walk in God's objective will, the will that is for everyone. I told, you, I, I told some of you this. Um, I think I told, I told it on Wednesday night um, in, in, in our class. I think I told it in my Connect because I just started this conversation. But I got this random um, request from someone on Facebook, and they, 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 uh, message, they sent me a message on Messenger, and they were all caps, please contact me. And I was like, whoa, did I know this person? So, you know, immediately when I get something crazy like that, I look, I click on the person, I look at their profile, and I'm like, okay, we have one mutual friend. I'm like, maybe I know this guy. You know, I'm trying to, like, look at the picture. I'm spreading the picture. I'm like, maybe he changed. He got old. I don't know. Because I don't, I don't recognize a dude from anywhere. So, anyway, you know, so I reply. I'm like, well, do I know you? And he's like, there's no strangers in the kingdom of God. And I was like, amen. Okay, I can see where this is going. 
I'm like, well, praise the Lord. Amen. I should have just shut the email right at that moment and been like, all right, brother. Well, since we don't know each other, I'm going to just leave this right here. But anyway, long story short, <laughs> let me tell you something. Sometimes, I, I ain't going to lie, sometimes I waste time. To me, this is just a waste of time. But anyway, put it this way. I've closed this conversation three times, literally. Like, okay, I'm done. And then I replied. <laughs> It's my fault because I just, I, I'm like, I can't stand the stupidity. And then there's probably a part of me that wants to win an argument. But anyway, I'm done. I've, I've closed the conversation for the last time. I'm not going to reopen it. But anyway, I'll, and he's still writing. But here's the thing. In this, in this conversation, I, for, for some reason, he felt led of the Lord, you know, according to him, that he felt led of the Lord to have a conversation with me about politics. And what he wanted to let me know was this. You all will be happy to know this. He said, voting or being involved in the political process is a sin. Amen, 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 all right? So we'll, get, we'll move on. Why do I bring that up? Because what I try to explain to this brother very clearly, there is God's general will, right? Things that are clearly sin for everyone. And what I explained to him is I said, for you to vote is a sin because you have a conviction about this. For me, there's no written command that tells me not to do this. Therefore, I am free. That sounds like the Apostle Paul. Not that I'm the Apostle. I'm just saying. He wrote something like that, like in Romans, right? He was talking to people. You know, some people were saying that, you know, this was unclean, that was unclean. And Paul is like, listen, if you feel like it's all good, you can eat, but don't make your brother sin. And so I'm just like, I'm trying to explain this thing. But the point that I'm trying to make is that God's will, his clear will for all of us, for my friend that doesn't want to vote, right? For my friend that thinks I'm, I'm going to hell because I'm, you know, participating in the political process. I'm, I'm just saying, I, obviously, if I'm living in sin, I'm going to hell. Are you hearing me? Y'all are not hearing me. Listen to me. If you are living in sin, there is no, if you are living in sin, there is one guarantee according to the book of Hebrews, and that is judgment. That's it. You, you, can, you can claim all the promises you want, but if you are living in sin, hell is imminent. That's the bottom line. That is where you are going. I don't care how long you've been in church. I don't care how many scriptures you memorize. I'm gonna, I'll quote Francis Chan. I, lo I love this quote. I heard him, and I wish I could quote him clearly because I just kind of listened to the, it was, it was, you know how you watch a video and then another video pops up. So I was watching a video somewhere, and it wasn't even a Francis Chan video, the original one, but um, the second video popped up, and it's Francis Chan, and I'm like, oh, let me hear my man. It's like three minutes because Francis Chan is like an hour-long preacher, and so I don't have an hour a lot to, you know, to give. But anyway, I listened to this little five-minute thing, and he said something I thought was so awesome. He said, you know, Christianity is weird. I said, because we're like the only religion that thinks memorizing stuff is what God wants. And he gave a great example. He said, you know, it's kind of like your child. You tell your child, hey, I want you to go clean your room. And your child goes to the room and walks in the room, walks around the room, comes back out and says, dad, I memorized what you said. Go clean the room. <laughs> Would that please you in any way, shape, or form? No. If you were old school, they might get slapped. I know new school, we put them in timeout. But anyway, right? If they were old school, they might get yanked by the ear and like, go, vete limpia esa cuarto, okay? For those of you that don't speak Spanish, go clean that room. Hello. Right? So, so ultimately, the, you know, the idea is, right, that, that Francis Chan is bringing out is that we must obey, right? Obedience matters. It's not just memorizing scriptures and knowing what the Bible says at this point, at that place. It is doing what the scriptures say. God's calling us, right? His will is our sanctification. And so his will, right? His desire, that's what this word means, right? His thalo, right? His, his, his will, his desire, his, his heart for us is our sanctification. Now, I want you to get this, what sanctification is. Because when we think of sanctification, we always think of one thing. It means to be separated, right? That's what sanctification means. That's what we understand. But let me give you the definition of this word, sanctification. The, the biblical definition, it means this. It means to dedicate to the service of and loyalty to a deity. Did you hear me? To dedicate to the service of and loyalty to a deity, right? So it is not just about what you are not doing. It is about who you are doing, what you are doing, and who you're doing it for. Are you here? It is about dedication to God, not just separation from things. See, that's our issue. Our issue is when we think of sanctification, we think of everything we're saying no to instead of the one we're saying yes to. We think of all the things we can't do because, oh, i got to be holy, so I can't do this and I can't do that. But hold on a second. Who are you doing it to? 
You are doing it to the one who loves you, to the one who died for you. You're doing it unto him to bring him glory in all that you do. See, as children of God, it must be our practice to know and obey the clearly stated general and objective will of God despite our contentious feelings because that's what we struggle with, right? We read something in the scripture and you know what? We're like, man... I don't know. I, you know, like some of the stuff we're going to read in a moment, some of you, you, know, you, you may struggle with some of this. And I'm assuming that it's probably something that happens in the church because the Apostle Paul wrote it. And what I want you to know is that it's not a new struggle. It's something that's there. But there's, there, there's struggles that are going on in the scriptures, right? There's things that we have. And so our, our flesh may be contentious, not just our flesh, but then there are the cultural objections to the word of God. You know, the people around us who don't believe the scriptures, who don't believe that this is God's word, and they object to that. Oh, that's old school. That's not even right. Or the worst one of all is the professing Christian abandonment of what God makes clear for all to adhere to. And so what, what we need to practice is saying, you know what? Whatever God says is I'm called to live holy. That's what he means. No matter when my flesh doesn't want to do it, no matter when my friends don't want to do it, and no matter when the church says they're not going to do that anymore. Are you here? Because we can easily hear people who we respect and we love and we care for get, go into that where they don't believe what God's word says. So the second thing I'll ask you to repeat after me is this. We seek to please God, please God. when we strive. To live up to his standards. We seek to please God when we strive to live up to his standards. And so the first thing that we understand is that we can only please him when we are within his will. And, when we are, and the way that we know that we're seeking to please him is when we are striving to live up to his standards. When I say, God, I want to know what your standards are. So if you want to know what God's standards are, let's see what the Apostle Paul has to say here. Verses 3, um, the second part of verse 3 here, all the way to verse 8. He says, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. Very clear. And what does he say next? He says that you should abstain from sexual immorality. That each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in passion of lust, like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother in this matter, because the Lord is the avenger of all such, as, as we also forewarned you and testified, for God did not call us to uncleanness, but in holiness. Therefore, he who rejects this does not reject man, but God, who has also so given us his Holy Spirit. We seek to please God when we strive to live up to his standards. It should be clear to us that God is immutable, meaning that he is unchanging, and his standards flow from his character. Science may discover new things and change its opinion, right? As they discover stuff, they change their opinion. I mean, you can go and look at, you know, things that have changed over time. The culture, it's going to ebb and flow with whatever, you know, pop psychology is saying or whatever the most popular person is communicating. Obviously, politicians evolve in their positions, but what I want you to realize is that God remains constant and his standards never change. Never. No matter who else changes around us, his standards never change. And when Paul wrote these words to the church of Thess uh, to, to the Thessalonian church, what I want you to get here and what I, what I want you to understand is he is writing. Remember the first sermon that I preached? It was the model church, wasn't it? It's the first or second sermon that I preached in this series. The model church. Paul's encouragement was to a church that they were exemplary. A church that was giving an example to others who were all around them looking at them. And then the Apostle Paul comes and, and in the fourth chapter, after he's encouraged them, said how much he loves them and, and wants to be with them. And he goes through all of this. Then he comes to this place where the rubber meets the road. And the first exhortation that he tells them is that they are to abstain from sexual immorality. He says in the book of Ephesians that sexual immorality should not even be named among us. It's terrible to think about us as Christians. Now, and, and, this, this, this is, and, and this is big, but this is small in comparison to really being involved in sexual immorality. It is amazing to me how many of us as Christians laugh at vulgar jokes. Not just laugh, but we actually share them. This is a sad reality in the church day that we live in. If you say a certain word, people automatically go to that thought of sexual something. You are not even anywhere in your mind thinking about it, and then, you, you know, the giggle in the audience or something like that triggers like, oh, man, that's what they're thinking. That wasn't what I was saying. I don't want you to think of those words right now, but nonetheless, there are certain words that are like trigger words in our culture. You know, they have the two sentiments, right? They're, they're and it shouldn't be like that among the church. 
It shouldn't be like that among us who are Christians. We are supposed to walk in purity when it comes to the area of sexuality. You see, when we look at this, our culture is one that is overly sexualized. Everything, listen, you want to sell beer, get some naked women. And when I mean naked, I don't mean necessarily with no clothes on, but, you know, they're going to go and get into some mud pit or something like that. Hello. They're going to pour the beer all over themselves, and suddenly you go buy that beer, and you're going to have women like that pouring that kind of beer all over themselves for you. Are we selling beer or are we selling something else? But you know what? Every man on the planet that saw that commercial, and I'm just describing, that's not a real commercial. I'm just saying. Is it? Is it? I'm saying. Well, I, 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 I probably like mix like three commercials together. Who knows, right? Some Super Bowl commercials or whatever. But I guarantee you, every man that was watching that, they're going to remember that beer. But it's because of that correlation. Because there's this sexuality that, that, that is being portrayed. And so what we do is we take what God has made good and we make it evil. We take what God has made holy and we make it unholy, right? We take, what, we take that thing that God makes one way and we pervert it. And so uh, what, what, what happens is God's standard of sexual morality has been pushed to the side. And yet here the Apostle Paul again calls this model church to abstain. Now before we even deal with what it means, what sexual, uh, sexual immorality means, before I give you that definition, I want you to think about what the word abstain means. This is what the word abstain means. It means to hold oneself off. It means to refrain. It means to be away from. It, needs to be, it means to be off from. What I want you to understand is that this isn't moderation. This is total denial. This isn't like, you know, man, I'm, I'm, I'm only going to look a little bit. I'm, I, I'm only going to flirt a little bit. I'm, a, I'm only going to dress a certain way. I'm going to get to that in a moment. Amen. I know y'all want to hear that. Glory to God. Last time I talked about bathing suits, today I'm going to talk about just regular dress. See, the reality is that we are called to live holy in this area of sexuality. And so what does it mean? So, so what is sexual immorality? Well, let me, let me help you understand this. The word sexuality, it comes from a Greek word, porneia. Okay? Sounds like pornography. That's where we get the word pornography from. And what sexual immorality is this, it was usually tied to and connected to prostitution is the idea. But it means illicit sexual intercourse. It means adultery. So illicit sexual intercourse, any kind of intercourse that cannot be supported scripturally. Adultery, which is what? Sex outside of the marriage covenant. And fornication, which is sex before marriage. Homosexuality and lesbianism, which are sex with the same sex. It is intercourse with animals. That's self-explanatory. It is intercourse with close relatives. That's incest. So let me give you the definition. I had to write, like rewrite this a couple times. I'm like, man, I got to make sure I cover all the bases in this definition. It is any sexual act outside of a biblical marriage covenant. Any sexual act that is outside of a biblical marriage covenant. That is what sexual immorality is. And Paul, again, in Ephesians 4.3 is a scripture that I quoted earlier where he says that sexual immorality should not even be named among us. And so Paul calls this church to abstain from sexual immorality. He goes and he tells him, he says, then each one, look in verse 4, he says that each one should know how to possess his own vessel, two things, and sanctification, that separatedness, that separation from sin, and in honor. And so what that means for us, right, is because we talked about the whole pornography thing, right? So when we think about sexual immorality, I didn't say, you know, looking and lusting, right? But Jesus said looking and lusting was adultery. That's what Jesus says. Jesus takes it to another level. It's a, he, say, he says, if you look to a woman with lust after her, you have already committed adultery in your heart. Well, hold on a second. What about the single guys in the room? Listen, I feel for you. I feel for you. I, I'm straight up. I'm, I'm telling you straight up. I was a single guy. I got saved when I was 17. One of my first prayers was, Lord, you didn't give me that gift. I need a gift. He who finds a wife finds a good thing. He received a favor from the Lord. I was like, Lord, I need favor. Amen. I'm just saying. Y'all can laugh at that. It's okay. I'm, just, I'm, I'm being honest. I was like, God, I'm not asking you to make me a single man. I don't want to be a single man. I believe that I'm called to be married. And so I need you to bring the one I need to be married because I need to know quickly. Because <laughs> I don't want to sin against you. Because, I listen, before I, became, before I came to Jesus, I was, a, I was a terrible guy. When it came to women, I mean, listen, Donald Trump ain't got nothing on me. I'm just saying. I'm just going to throw it out there. Thank God I'm saved today. I wasn't a sexual predator. I have to say that. Let me just throw that. Let me just fix that real quick. 
But what I'm saying is, I was terrible. And I didn't want to be that kind of dude. I didn't want to be a Christian pimp. Hello? You think it's a joke? I mean, it's for real. You got dudes in the church, they're like Rico Suave. I know I just aged myself. But they are like so smooth and, you know, the girls. I'm like, yo, back up, son. I'm just, you know, I, anyway. The truth of the matter is, I didn't want to be that guy because I knew what Jesus did for me, and I didn't want to dishonor him. And so thank God he let me know quickly. Amen. Like three years after being a Christian, I was married. I wasn't even 21, and I was married. Glory to God. If I wanted to drink, I couldn't. Glory to his name. I'm just saying. But the, but the reality is that we have to maintain. We're supposed to maintain our vessel. That means my eyes. Hello, guys. Oh, and ladies as well. Because it ain't just guys, right? I was, I was talking to someone about the fact that, you know, we have the leaders, you know, we, we asked them to put the male leaders, we asked them to put this thing called covenant eyes on their computers so we can have some accountability. And, 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 and um, she said to me, she was like, why don't you have the women? And I was like, well, you know, I'm like, I don't know, but, yeah, there's some women as well. Some of y'all, it's just emotional adultery and fornication. But the reality is he says to flee from this, right? He says to stay away, to abstain from this, to maintain your vessel in sanctification and honor. This is why I'm going to talk about dress. In honor. You know, come here, Josiane. Come here. Come here. I'm going to use you as a good example today. He's about to turn red. Glory to God. Come, come, come on. Come up here. I need them to see you, man. This is a good looking dude, isn't it? Right? He's, he's dressed nice, right? I mean, he's, he, 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 is, he, he, is, he is up to date in his dress, right? Amen, amen. Come on, give him a hand. He looks good, right? But what I want you to realize is that he's not dressed inappropriate. Hello, somebody. So he's, he's to date with the way he dresses. And I'm bringing a guy up here because there's plenty of guys, right, that, you know, some, somebody says, some of y'all just ain't dressing right, guys. Hello? Hmm. You want to sit down now? Yeah. Amen, amen, amen. Thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> I'm not talking about style when I say not dressing right. You know, I used to hate it. It's not, I, don't see it I, I don't see it as much now. But, you know, there was a time there were guys, they didn't even know what a belt was. And they decided they were going to wear their pants. Like, I, I, I don't know why they had pants on. I have no idea. It was no, there was, like, no purpose because their pants were all the way down here, butts hanging out, just crazy stuff, right? But at the end of the day, you know, there's guys got to be modest as well. Look, skinny jeans. Hello, somebody. Let me just throw it out there. I'm, I'm going to hit the guys first. Ladies, I'm going to come to you in a moment, but let me hit the guys first. Right? Skinny jeans, right? Like, skinny jeans press, put pressure everywhere. Hello, somebody. Right? You know, I, I never forget this. I never forget this. This is straight up. I never forget this. One day, I, I was with a couple of guys. One of them was a pastor. The other one was an evangelist, right? The evangelist or the, the pastor, they're related. And so the pastor was picking up this evangelist from my house. When the pastor comes over, the pastor's got some skinny jeans on. And I'm going to just say it like this. It's bulging, right? The evangelist is like, bro, que eso? He's like, dude. And you know, you know, you know what the pastor says? The pastor's like, bro, I'm free, man. This is the, I'm a man. I'm like, really? Okay. So we're just going to advertise everything, right? That's how we live, right? You know, when, when, listen, there, there, there has to be modesty. There's got to be modesty for guys. You know, you want to wear skinny jeans? All right. Just make sure they ain't that skinny. Hello, somebody. Right? Make sure they're not. Make sure you know your, you know, cover your junk. Right? You know, I, I, I always, always get on the women about stuff, you know, being, you know, being, being a minister, you know, youth minister, all, you know, and, and, I, and I talk to the ladies. Listen, ladies, you got to dress right. Not just at the, I already talked about the bikinis and all of that kind of stuff. I'm talking about just your regular dress. Mm -hmm. Listen, husbands, let, 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 me, let me help you out. You need to, from this day forward, Amen. Sit down with your wife before she walks out the house, and if, and if you're turned on by what she's wearing, tell her to turn around. And I don't mean turn around so you can see everything. I mean turn around so she can change. Because listen, my brother, if you're turned on by what your wife is wearing, guess what? Someone else is going to be turned on. It's the bottom line. Hi, ladies, let me, let me help you out. If he's not there to help you, just go to the mirror. Turn around. Can you see lines? 
Can you see the lines from the clothing under your clothing? Hello, somebody. Because if, I, if you can see the lines, guess what? Everyone else can see the lines. And so you are advertising. You want someone to see the lines. Hello. I know. I know. It just got unpopular. But here's the deal. Holiness. Maintain your vessel in sanctification and honor. Listen, there is one person that needs to see you in all of your glory. And that's the one you say I do to. That is it. That's it. No one else needs to know what kind of anything. They don't need to know anything. I'm not telling you you got to come up in here with one of those like robes, you know. You're like thinking, well, Bishop, I guess we're going to have to wear robes from now on. But, you know, I, I, it's funny because I was thinking about the whole robe thing. You, wanna, you know how serious God was about holiness? You know the priests in the Old Testament, they used to wear robes, right? And can I tell you something? You know what God did? God made sure that they had underwear on. Because they were, I guess the priests weren't thinking about this or something. And he's like, y'all need to put underwear on so that when you walk up them steps, no one is seeing up your robe. Hello. Right? I'm just saying, it's in the Bible here. Hello. So like, you know, mind your own business. Like right there. Like just like that in the scriptures. Right? And so God is serious about us being holy when it comes to the way we dress. We need to think about the opposite sex. If we want to be a culture of people that are not, you know, living in, in, in you know, and making sure that we're not being a cause. See, first of all, you need to maintain your own vessel in honor. And so listen, I don't care how she's dressed. I don't care how he's dressed. You shouldn't be looking. Are you hearing me? You need to control yourself. But can I tell you something? Don't be a stumbling block. Don't be a stumbling block. You know, be like Josian. Think about Josian from now on when you get dressed. Make sure you are dressed like up to date, but make sure your junk ain't out of proportion. Make sure you can't see anything that's there. Make sure nothing's being advertised. Come to church looking right. Glory to God. Amen. Help each other out. And fathers with daughters, do the same thing I told you to do about your wife. Amen. Sit, you're not going to be turned on about your daughter, but if you're like, man, I don't want no one seeing that, tell her, baby, turn around. I love you. I love you. We'll go buy something else right now, but you are not going out like that. You got the receipt. Let's take it back. Amen. Praise the Lord. Listen, here's the deal, church. We are to maintain our bodies under control and under cover, unlike those who don't serve and profess to know God. Because of what? What does he say? What are the reasons that he gives us for here? He says that no one, verse 6 says, that no one should take advantage and defraud his brother in this matter. Because the Lord, the first thing he says, because the Lord is the avenger of all such things as we also forewarned you and testified. So the first reason why we want to make sure that we are living under control and under cover is because of the wrath of God. The verse 7, it says, for God did not call us to uncleanness but to holiness. The second reason that he gives us here is because of the life that God has called us to live is a life of holiness. And the third thing here that he says in verse 8, he says, therefore, he who rejects this, I love this here, he who rejects this does, does not reject man but God who has given us also his Holy Spirit. And so listen, you can reject everything that I said. And you know, you're not arguing with me. You're arguing with God. Because God is the one that says it. And you're denying the Holy Spirit that is in you. And so for wrath's sake, you want to make sure that you're not living a life of unrighteousness here. For holiness sake, you want to make sure that you are living the life that God has called you to do. And because God says it, you want to obey what God has commanded us to do and not argue with him and reject him. Amen? Amen. Third thing. Repeat this after me. Say, we please God, please God. when love leads us. We please God when love leads us. Look at verses 9 through 12, and we're getting ready to wrap up here. It says, but concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. And indeed, you do so toward all the brethren who are, who are in all Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, that you increase more and more. I love this. When Paul, he tells him, I don't even need to write to you about this. And then he's like, but I want you to increase more and more in this. It's like, he, it's like he encouraged him. Man, you guys got this. God is the one that is teaching you about love. He's like, but I want you to increase more and more. And in verse 11 and 12, he says that you also aspire to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your own hands as we commanded you, that you may walk properly toward those who are outside, that you may lack nothing. And so what Paul says here, he's talking about us being led by love. Let me say this. When love is our motivation, love will not be, I mean, lust will not be our downfall. When love is our motivation, lust will not be our downfall. There's this thing, I don't know if this, it's still around, but when I was a youth pastor, it was. It was a thing called love weights. 
And what Love Wakes was about, it was about young people making a covenant with God and making a covenant with, with themselves, making a covenant with each other that they would be clear and, and that they would stay pure until the day that they got married. Every young person in this place, that should be your commitment to God Almighty and your commitment to your parents. I mean, seriously. And even more so, your commitment to yourself. That when you go to, when you say, I do, listen, when you walk down that aisle, if you're a young lady and you walk in white, that you can really wear white proudly. You know how many, listen, you know how many people, they, they just buy white because women are supposed to wear white. They're not wearing white because they're pure. There's symbolism in that whole ceremony. And the whole thing is that you're supposed to walk forward. And you know what, brother, if you are walking up here and you, 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 got on, you, you, you wear a white suit too, amen. You let them know, listen, I stood pure. I'm wearing white today next to you, amen, glory to God. I got a gift for you. And that's what happens when you maintain yourself pure, when you maintain. But the reason why they commented love waits is because you know how many bozos are out there talking about, oh, but I love you. <laughs> brother, please. Ladies, you just say that. Say, my bishop said to tell you, brother, please. Love waits, okay? And so when love motivates, when love leads you, when love guides you, what does it do? I, lust is not going to be my downfall. I may struggle with it. I may battle with it. I may, go, I, mean, I may have a serious issue going on in my life. Listen, I told you about what was happening with me when I first got saved. The bottom line was I wasn't going to be overcome by lust. I was going to be led by love. But Paul takes it beyond the area of sexuality to then us also looking at other areas of our lives. Because here's the thing. All of us in different levels, you know, we may struggle with, with, with sexuality. But here's the deal. Paul doesn't just want us to just get caught up there in holiness. He wants us to understand that there are some other things. He wants us to abound more and more in this love. And what he wants us to do is he wants us to, and I love those three things there that he communicates very clearly. He says, look, he says, and indeed, I'm, I'm in verse 11, he says that you also aspire to lead a quiet life. Listen, when you and I are led by love, you know what we're going to do? We're going to live a peaceful life. What does that mean? It doesn't mean you don't say anything. It means you're not quarrelsome. It means you're not always trying to argue, always trying to fight. It means you're not a divisive person. When you are led by love, you are living a quiet life. The next one is, he says, and y'all love this, someone chuckled. They were like, mind your own business. You live a life in which you mind your own business. Does that mean that you don't help people? Does that mean that you don't get involved in people's situation? Real Christianity engages in people's lives. But you know what? And I can tell you this from being a pastor and being, and being in a leadership role. There are many times in my life, and straight up, and I do this all the time, I back up and I don't try to inter, in, in, invade people's lives and invade people's space because I don't feel like I need to be in on every single thing in your life. I think you need to have a relationship with Jesus. I think you need to pray, seek God, get his wisdom and his direction and so the reality is if you don't invite me into a situation I'm not going to just jump right in there now if a situation is dire I'm not talking about like someone is in open sin that's a different scenario I'm not talking about that stuff I'm just talking about the general stuff that we go through in our lives I don't need to be all up in your business all the time and you shouldn't be in other people's business you know we got issues in church it's called gossip hello somebody just we, you know, we got to know all the business, right? You know, we, we, we got to know all of what's going on in people's lives. We got to be all, and hold on a second, that's not Christian. And you know what's even worse when we're like that at work? Hello. Because you know what this is about? What Paul does is he talks the first part of purity. He talks about that in the house. But you know what these other three things are about? They're about the people outside. So he's saying that we live this quiet life, right? That we, that we mind our own business and what, and what else? And, and, and he says in that, and, and that we would also work with our own hands. That we would mind our own business. That we would live a quiet life. That we would not be gossips and busybodies and all. No, no, no. no. But that we would be people that someone can confide in. And you're never going to hear this from your friend down the block. But that we also be those that work with our hands. See, when we're working with our hands, we're working hard. We're responsible. We are diligent. That's what it means. That's what he's talking about here. That we be a people like that. And the end of the verse is this. He says in verse 12, he says that you may walk properly toward those who are outside and that you may lack nothing. You see, we can't engage in sexuality like the world does. We can't do it. I heard this thing, it was, it was, it was, um, it was a pastor was talking about uh, an evangelistic um, youth, a thing for a, a youth event, and it was doing, a, 
doing a pool party. And so the, the, the whole deal was that they were going to do a pool party. They were going to invite all of their unchurched friends to this pool party. And one of the, one of the ladies um, got up and she said, or she called up the pastor, the leader, and was like, listen, um, we can have a pool party, but we need to enforce some rules. And we need to tell all these kids that they have to wear, you know, they can't wear two-piece bathing suits and all this and that. And, and, and the person who was trying to organize this outreach was like, okay, and so no non-Christians are going to come to this then. Because we're already trying to clean the fish before we even caught them. We're trying to make them conform to our way. Now, am I saying to go and have some crazy kind of you know, pool party? And I, that's not what I'm advocating. What, I, what, what, what I'm saying is that the Christian kids should have been told, listen, if we're going to do this thing, y'all don't come up in here dressing crazy. You all live a certain standard before your friends that you're trying to reach. If this is the way that we're doing this barbecue pool party type thing, and again, I'm not telling you to go and do this. I'm simply communicating what needs to happen. It's we are supposed to live the standard. We are supposed to be the standard that the world looks at for sexuality. Not looking at the pop culture. They need to see us as the example. They need to see us as those who are living a peaceful, quiet life. They need to see us as those who are working hard, who are diligent in what we're doing. They need to see us as those people that are not busybody gossips. That's what the world needs to see. Because here's what I realize, is that a church that is led by love will abound in holiness and will be a church that impacts the culture in a lasting, life-changing, and liberating way. You see, when we are living and we're led by love, and what I mean by this is we're led by the love of God. We are committed to, we didn't say it this morning, but ultimately we are committed to loving God. We realize the foundation for all of our discipleship efforts is what? The love of God. And so when I'm led by the love of God, then I'm going to be a person who is going to walk in holiness. And then I'll be a person who is able to make an impact in the culture. If not, then guess what? People don't see God in us and people's lives are not changing. So my closing question for you is this. Where are you failing to live holy? Where is it? Think about that for a moment. Talked about sex for the most of the sermon here. Talked about sexual purity. Maybe that is an area where you struggle. Maybe, may, maybe you're in this place. Maybe you are secretly battling with pornography. Maybe, I mean, you are, you are going through it on your own. You're hiding from people. Maybe, maybe that's you. Maybe you're going through something, I mean, just really bad in, in that area of your Maybe, listen, maybe you're committing adultery. I don't know. Maybe you're not married having sex outside of marriage. Maybe that's what's going on. And maybe you need to say, man, God, I can't do this because you know what? Both of those things, serving God and doing that, don't equate. You have to make a choice. Hey, maybe you're a person that needs to mind your own business. Maybe that's the area you struggle with in holiness. Maybe you're just gossipy, chattery. Ch I mean, maybe you just got that. You just can't shut up. Maybe that's you. Maybe you're just like, I mean, you're struggling. I mean, you, you always have to argue. You're just like argumentative. It's just you. Maybe, maybe, that, maybe that is what is going on. Maybe you are just lazy. You want to work hard. Hold on a second. Is lazy being unholy? Well, according to the scriptures, we're supposed to work hard. The book of Proverbs condemns laziness all over the place. And so that's not an attribute that honors God. And so my question is, what area of your life are you struggling to live holy? What area? And what I want you to know is that the, the, the most important thing is that you confess that area unto God this morning. That you don't leave this place without having acknowledged before God this struggle that you're going through. And listen, I'm going to tell you something. I'm not into making people feel guilty and make you walk up here so you can bear your shame and all that kind of stuff. Jesus walked the walk of shame for you and I. But I'm going to ask you to do something. I'm going to ask you that. You know what? Whatever that struggle is with holiness in your life, whatever area that it is, I'm going to challenge you. If you're in a Connect Life group, I want to challenge you to talk to your Connect Life group leader. And all the Connect Life group leaders that are sitting in here, you need to hear this. You need to call on your people this week, and you need to have some conversation. You know, guys, get with the guys. Your lady, you know, wife, have her get with the ladies. But I want you to sit down. I want you to make it a point to have some conversations. What area? Am I struggling with holiness in? 
because you want to be serious about that. And you want to confess that to someone else who can hold you accountable. You confess it this morning unto the Lord. I'm going to pray that God break that stronghold off of your life because I believe that his, that his grace is sufficient to do that. And if you're not in a Connect Life group, I encourage you to get connected. And if for some reason you can't, I'm just going to challenge you to sit down with someone in leadership in this church. Reach out to someone. Don't stay by yourself in this battle. I want us to overcome. I want us to be that church that makes lasting impact. So I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. Let's pray together today. Father, look at our hearts. You know us, Father. As your word was communicated this morning, Lord God, you know our thoughts. You know our name. You hear every word of our mouths. You know the tears that we cry. And so, God, this morning, Lord God, this afternoon, I just lift up each and every one of us in this place. Lord, we all struggle with holiness in different areas. And, Lord, we come to you as those vessels, Lord God, as those who are on the potter's wheel. And we call unto you today. And, Lord God, we pray that you would remove, Lord God, those areas in our lives that are marred, those areas in our lives that we have been defeated by sin, that you would break those chains today, Lord God, that you, Heavenly Father, would liberate every mind that has been bound in the gutter, my Lord. Father God, I pray for those who are battling with pornography today. Spirit of God, may you reach them in the depth of their core today. May you reach them in the depth of their soul today. And may you break those chains of bondage, my God. Father God, may you liberate them from the strongholds of lust, my God. Father, for those who are battling, Heavenly Father, with different areas of sexuality, those, Lord God, who may be battling with homosexuality, those who may be struggling, my God, with their, with their relationships sexually, my Lord. Father, I pray that you would liberate them from those struggles that they would be able to overcome and that from this day forward that they would walk in freedom, my God. Father, today, Lord God, let those chains break. Let those chains break, my God. Let the yoke of the enemy be broken, Lord Jesus. Father, I pray against condemnation. I pray for grace in these lives. I pray for those that are struggling with their mouths, my God. For those that struggle with gossip, my Lord. For those who can't keep their mouths shut. For those who can't mind their own business, my God. Father, help them, my Lord. Father, today, my God. Father, you see the different areas that we struggle with to walk in holiness. And so today, fill us with grace. Fill us with power. Help us to honor you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, give God a hand of praise. He is worthy.